Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Virginia Allen. So Baylor University won the Men's Basketball National Championship on Monday night. And I've said on this show that I am not a basketball fan, but I was actually pretty excited about this victory because Baylor University is in Waco, Texas and happens to be Joanna Gaines' alma mater. (laughs) And I have to support the Gaines family since I wander through the hearth and hand section of Target pretty much every single time I'm in the store. I have watched a lot of Fixer Upper and I'm just an all-around Joanna Gaines fan, so I have to support her team. (laughs) But Lauren, what are your thoughts on Baylor's victory? Or we can just keep talking about Joanna Gaines. Virginia, 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 Virginia. <laughs> I know, I'm such like a millennial female, but I'm proud of it. It's okay. You know, I was really rooting for Gonzaga. I was just so excited. They almost had an undefeated season. This is the only game this season that they lost. They actually were scheduled to play Baylor earlier in the season, and that game was canceled due to COVID. And when you watch that game, I don't think Gonzaga was up for one second of it. So... What I was most upset about is that that game didn't start until 9.20 at night. Like, <laughs> someone was up to go to work the next day. And I, I, I've, I've been so into March Madness. I was so excited. And, uh, yeah, it was not a very interesting game. But congratulations to the Baylor Bears for winning. <laughs> well, yep. Congrats to them. You know, it's always exciting to see some of these a little bit smaller schools that you're not as familiar with pull out, get these big wins. So... Uh, glad you were at least able to watch part of the game before it was bedtime. <laughs> the first quarter. The first half of the first half. There you go. It's more than I watched. So. <laughs> All right, Lauren, what do we have queued up for today's show? Up on today's Problematic Women, we talk with Arkansas State Rep Robin Lundstrom about the Save Adolescents from Experimentation, or SAFE Act. The bill protects children from transgender hormones and surgery. Also on today's show, we talk with Heritage spokesperson Genevieve Wood about Major League Baseball's decision to move the All-Star game from Atlanta after the passage of the new election law in Georgia. Genevieve also talks about Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock's deleted Easter tweet and why the grocery store Publix is speaking out against 60 Minutes. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, Please consider supporting us by leaving a review or a rating on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. I am so pleased to be joined by Arkansas State Representative Robin Ludstrom. Representative Ludstrom, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. You are the lead sponsor of the Save Adolescents from Experimentation or SAFE Act. And over the past week or so, we have heard a lot in the news about this act. And we're going to get into the politics of it in just a moment. But first, could you just tell us a little bit about what this bill will do? Well, what this bill will do is it will protect adolescents from experimentation when it comes to sex change procedures, both chemically and surgically. 
And that's all the bill does. It doesn't take away any health care. It doesn't take away counseling. It just stops cross-sex hormones from being given to children. And then when they're 18, they can make those decisions. And that's very important to give them time to make good decisions when it comes to their health. This bill has been through quite the political process. The Arkansas State House and Senate passed the legislation at the end of March. Then the Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, he vetoed the bill. But on Tuesday, the Arkansas legislature overrode the governor's veto and passed the bill, making Arkansas the first state to pass and implement this kind of legislation. What was the process like for you and why was it important to override the governor's veto? First of all, I didn't know the veto was coming um, until the governor called me Monday. Um, and I never would have imagined seven or eight months ago when this started that it would be the roller coaster ride that it has turned out to be. I knew it would be difficult. I had no illusions there, but um, never did I think it would make this type of twist and turns. Um, because the whole goal is to protect children. It's not anti anyone. It's simply saying, let's pump the brakes. Let's not do anything to adolescents during puberty that would harm them, um, harm their growth, harm them. Cardiovascular disease is an issue. Um, obviously this will stunt growth and, and obviously this impacts their brain development. So, um, to me, protecting adolescents is the whole goal. Um, when it passed the house, it passed the House with um, 70 votes, and actually a couple of the co-sponsors couldn't be there that day, so it would have been a little bit higher, and um, had 22 no votes and um, eight that were not in voting that just either couldn't be there for some reason or another or just didn't vote. And then when it went to the Senate, it had um, 28 Senate votes. So it was pretty overwhelming. That's That's a really good indication that a lot of people in Arkansas are concerned about adolescents. So when it landed on the governor's desk, he has time to, to look at all the bills and to contemplate, and that's good. And he chose to veto. And once the governor issues a letter of veto, then there's a very specific orchestrated process of overriding a veto because that is very serious. And um, it's something that's not taken lightly. You go to the well once the governor's letter is read and you present your case to the body and then the body decides whether or not to override the veto. And that usually happens pretty quickly. And we actually had 72 votes to override the veto, 24 no's. And um, then it immediately went to the Senate floor where it received 25 votes and the veto was overridden. I mean, that is such a large majority for both of the votes that took place in the state house mm -hmm. and, and the Senate. Do you think that that support that was seen in the Arkansas legislature is representative of how the people of your state feel about this bill? Yes, I do. Um, people want to protect children. And I think that's people on both sides of the aisle. I know people have made this a political agenda. It's not. Um, children deserve to be protected. And we protect children from the moment they're born. Um, you can't take a child home from the hospital without a car seat. And in Arkansas, we don't allow a child to drink until 21. And you can't have a, a tattoo, can't rent an apartment, can't open a bank account 
um, can't buy cough syrup uh, or a can of spray paint. So, and you can't even change your name. Why would we allow them to alter their body chemically or surgically in such a drastic fashion that you can't take back? I, I think someday we're going to have some children looking back and wondering where all the adults were. So here we are. Governor Hutchinson, he, he said he vetoed the bill because it constitutes a legislative overreach. Why do you disagree with the governor? Well, we um, make decisions all the time in the legislature to put down markers about what we want to do as far as protecting children, um, health care, schools. We make decisions all the time, whether it's a speed limit or something much more um, substantive as protecting children. I don't think it's a legislative overreach for us to say, no, you can't harm a child because this is not an FDA-approved drug. When you give a puberty blocker to a 13- or 14-year-old and then you give cross-sex hormones to that 13- or 14-year-old, you are altering that child's body. And it has long-term implications. And these drugs aren't approved to do that with a child. So we need to put down something and say, no, you can't do that to a child and have because this impacts the rest of their life. This isn't something small. This is something large. And I think that's something that we need a very serious thought process in protecting children. People run into a burning building for one child. Why would we not have a serious debate for 200? And I think they're worth it. Right after the Arkansas State Legislature overrode the governor's veto of the bill, the American Civil Liberties Union tweeted, they said, quote, the Arkansas Legislature overrode Governor Hutchinson's veto on HB 1570, a bill that would ban health care for trans youth. We are preparing litigation as we speak. What kind of legal battles do you expect moving forward around this legislation and maybe similar pieces of legislation? Well, they're certainly entitled to do everything that they want to do. I would argue that we didn't ban health care for anyone. I think that's a lie. I think that's a bold-faced lie. That shows me they haven't read the bill. Um, we haven't taken away health care from anyone. We haven't taken away counseling from anyone. This isn't health care to alter a child's body and use an experimental process on a child's body. Um, there are going to be children someday that are going to turn around as adults and sue doctors for experimenting on them. And they're going to wonder where the doctors, where the adults, and where their parents were. My heart goes out to parents. They're being put in a terrible situation. They're being told that their child is suicidal if they don't do that. And that is simply not true. There are children that need counseling. Gender dysphoria and gender distress is a truly medical situation. They need counseling and care, not experimentation. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to someone who would argue that this bill is cruel to minors who are struggling with, with gender dysphoria, who are struggling with, with their own gender? This bill doesn't take away their health care. This bill, I want them to go get counseling. They need counseling. Um, most kids that struggle with gender distress, about 85 to 95%, if left alone, will come out of that on their own. Um, but with counseling, their outcomes improve tremendously. So why would we not give them counseling and let them work through the process and give them counseling skills and skills to overcome this and skills to work through the process 
why in the world would we give them medications that aren't meant for that? And transgender children have a 19 times higher suicide rate than their peers. That should be alarming. And one of the reasons that they do is because of the drugs that we put in these children. That's scary to me. I, I think that as an American and as a mom, that's horrifying. We should see these kids as precious and as valuable, not as something to experiment on. Are there other states that are considering similar legislation? Yes, there are about 18 other states that are also looking at this legislation or running this legislation. We just happen to be the first one to say that children are important enough to stand up and take the slings and arrows and stand up for children. Mm -hmm. I think that's something to be proud of. Um, I think that's something to let those kids know that you're worth standing up for. Representative, uh, before we let you go, I just want to give you the final word. You are the lead sponsor of the Save Adolescents from Experimentation or SAFE Act. Why was this an issue that was so important for you? I think standing by and watching children be harmed and not doing something is wrong. And I think as legislators, when we see something wrong and we don't act, it's on us. And, and I want to encourage those parents and those children out there that we see you, we care about you, and hopefully this will help. And someday these children can grow up and make their own decisions and they'll have healthy bodies to make those decisions with. Excellent. Representative, thank you for your time. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you for doing your research and including me. Um, it's been really disheartening to see people like the ACLU put out that we've closed off health care or removed health care and counseling. Um, that's the last thing I want to see for this. This group of kids just needs a lot of love and needs real health care. And it's just disheartening when they put stuff out like that out. Now stay tuned for our conversation with Heritage Foundation Senior Advisor and Spokesperson Genevieve Wood as we talk about Major League Baseball's blunder in Georgia and other uninformed actions by the far left. But first, I need you all to answer two questions for me. Do you like learning new things and do you watch YouTube videos? So if you answered yes to one or both of those questions, then you need to subscribe to the Daily Signals YouTube channel. We're constantly posting interview clips, policy explainers, and other short videos on the channel that are both informative and really entertaining. So go ahead, pull out your phone and subscribe to the Daily Signal YouTube channel so you can be in the know on all of the news you care about. Misinformation has a way of spreading quickly these days. Here to help us break down some of the big misinformation blunders of the past week is a good friend of ours at the Heritage Foundation, Senior Advisor and Spokesperson Genevieve Wood. Welcome, Genevieve. Hey, good to be with you all. So let's jump right in with Georgia and Major League Baseball. Why is the voting law that Georgia passed uh, something that the far left is so upset about and apparently the MLB is also upset about this bill? 
Well, it's, it's hard to figure it out because what Georgia passed are very common sense measures, things like we're going to have a certain window of which people can vote by mail. Uh, when you do show up to vote, we're going to ask that you present a voter ID. And by the way, Georgia is not the only state that does that. Many other states do that. Uh, and even with the new reforms passed by the state legislature and signed into law by the governor, Georgia still doesn't have as strict of laws as some other states, as I'm sure many of the listeners have heard. Delaware, for example, where Joe Biden hails from, has stricter uh, voting rights law, so to speak, than, than, than the new Georgia measure. So, look, this is the left wanting to scream because at, at the end of the day, they would prefer that we not have any rules about voting. And they'd like to make it where anybody, including non-citizens, could vote. And so they have to scream about this. And one of the ways that they scream and act out is they try to go and pressure corporations, national organizations, individuals into basically to shame them. Uh, that's what they did with Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball uh, got woke and l- allowed themselves to be shamed. And it's a real tragedy. Well, and what I think is most ironic about this whole situation is the game was moved to Colorado. And when you go to a game, you buy beer and popcorn and you go to dinner before and usually go out after. It's a, it's a big boom to the local economy. I think hotels and Georgia is a, you know, this law is called racist and, it, you know, it's, it's hurting the African-American community. They moved it to Colorado where the the population of African-Americans is way smaller. So they're ending up hurting the people that they're claiming to protect. Yeah, it's like under 10 percent or something of the population is black and at least in Denver or wherever wherever the game's going to be played. Look, this is not about helping the people they claim they want to help. This is about a political statement. And this is about shaming your opponents. uh, And it's about trying to back them into a different corner. It's trying to silence people. It's trying to silence anyone who says uh, you should have an ID to vote. And frankly, it's insulting. If If you're in the black community, I think it's an insult to suggest what black people don't have IDs. Uh, that somehow they need help voting the way that other people don't. It's, it's Frankly, that's racist, if you ask me, the way that you see these white liberals try to say that black people don't know how to go vote and they need help. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Uh, and so, look, they should be ashamed of themselves. But I, I think more and more Americans are waking up to this. Frankly, you see more governors like Governor Kemp in Georgia saying, bye. Bye-bye, MLB. We've got other stuff going on. We're not. You don't get to tell us how to run our state. And I think we need more politicians and lawmakers and elected officials saying that such things. Well, I was listening to a podcast recently, Genevieve, and they were saying that we've really entered a new season in history and a new time where these big executives of major corporations or sporting leagues – they're no longer allowed to remain neutral. They are so pressured to take, you know, these really firm political stances. Uh, and, you know, when they don't, they're let go. They're fired. They disappear. We don't hear from them. I mean, is there really a way for, you know, things like uh, Major League Baseball to stay neutral and to stay out of politics anymore? Well, maybe what they should do is just speak from the facts. I mean, it looks pretty clear to me that the head of Major League Baseball and Delta and Coke and all these other companies that are based in Atlanta that now are all, you know, running from it, they didn't read the laws. I mean, all they had to do was say, well, hold on a second. Um, The laws just passed here in Georgia, from our reading, are not even as strict as what's in Delaware. So, you know, we don't we don't see the problem. I mean, just just say the facts. But they don't even try. They want to just jump on the liberal bandwagon. And I think it's because in many cases, these folks are no longer just scared. Many of the people in these corporate boardrooms are leftists themselves. This is not people that are just now being pressured. They're part 
of the leftist charge, and they're part of wanting to change the culture. So I, I don't think we should give them that benefit of the doubt anymore. There was a time we could, but I don't think that's any longer the case. Mm. Well, that isn't the only misinformation from this week. Earlier this week, CBS's 60 Minutes released an edited video of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. In the video, DeSantis is asked why arguably the best grocery store in (laughs) the United States, Publix, was made the primary vaccination site for the vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine. The 60 Minutes reporter alleges that Publix was given priority because they donated $100,000 to the DeSantis campaign. The 60 Minutes video really does make it look like DeSantis was on the defensive and didn't have a response. But let's go ahead. First roll, what CBS played, and then we're going to play the actual response. We wanted to ask Governor DeSantis about the deal, but he declined our request for an interview. We caught up with him south of Orlando. Publix, as you know, donated $100,000 to your campaign, and then you rewarded them with the exclusive rights to distribute the vaccination in So Palm first Beach. of all, that, what you're saying is wrong. How, how is that not pay to that, play? That's a fake narrative. I met with the county mayor. I met with the administrator. I met with all the folks at Palm Beach County, and I said, here's some of the options. We can do more drive-through sites. We can give more to hospitals. We can do the Publix. And they said, we think that would be the easiest thing for our residents. But Melissa McKinley, the county commissioner in the Glades, told us the governor never met with her about the public's deal. The criticism is that it's pay to play, It's wrong. It's wrong. It's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative and you don't care about the facts because obviously I laid it out for you in a way that is irrefutable. And so it's clearly not. Isn't there the nearest public? No, no, no. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong. Yes, sir. That's actually a fact. So that was the 60 Minutes version. Here is the unedited version per Clay Travis. So first of all, that, what you're saying is wrong. That's, that, that's a fake narrative. So first of all, when we did the, the first pharmacies that had it were CVS and Walgreens, and they had a long-term care mission. So they were going to the long-term care facilities. They got vaccine in the middle of December. They started going to the long-term care facilities the third week of December to do LTCs. So that was their mission. That was very important, and we trusted them to do that. As we got into January, we wanted to expand the distribution points. So, yes, you had the counties. You had some drive through sites. You had hospitals that were doing a lot. But we wanted to get it into communities more. So we reached out to other retail pharmacies, Publix, Walmart. Obviously, CVS and Walgreens had to finish that mission. And we said, we're going we're gonna to use you as soon as you're done with that. For the Publix... They were the first one to raise their hand, say they were ready to go. And you know what? We did it on a trial basis. I had three counties. I actually showed up that weekend and talked to seniors across four different publics. How was the experience? Is this good? Should you think this is a way to go? And it was 100% positive. So we expanded it, and then folks liked it. And I can tell you, if you look at a place like Palm Beach County, they were kind of struggling at first in terms of the senior numbers. I went, I met with the county mayor, I met with the administrator, I met with all the folks at Palm Beach County, and I said, here's some of the options. We can do more drive-through sites, we can give more to hospitals, we can do the publics, we can do this. They calculated that 90% of their seniors live within a mile and a half of a publics. And they said, we think that would be the easiest thing for our residents. So we did that, and what ended up happening was, you had 65 publics in Palm Beach. Palm Beach is one of the biggest counties, one of the most elderly counties We've done almost 75% of the seniors in Palm Beach. And the reason is because you have the strong retail footprint. So 
our uh, way has been multifaceted. It has worked. And we're also now very much expanding CVS and Walgreens now that they've completed the long-term care mission. Yes. And it's wrong. It's wrong. It's a fake narrative. I just disabused you of the narrative. And you don't care about the facts because obviously I laid it out for you in a way that is irrefutable. And so it's clearly not. No, no, no. You're wrong. You're wrong. Genevieve, it is wild that CBS had the gall to do this and listening to the interviews side by side. Were you surprised that they would go this far? No. absolutely not i mean anybody who's followed the mainstream media for the past i don't know 40 years should we shouldn't be shocked by this i mean i and i used to work for nbc news let me put a disclaimer out there back in the day uh, in new york uh, at the national level and i'm not going to say every story was you know done like this but the fact is anybody who's worked in journalism especially radio and television knows you do interviews and a lot of stuff ends up on the cutting room floor and you know when i say about bias in media it's not always you know what's included it's what's not included which is what the case we saw here with desantis it wasn't that they said that they gave him words that he didn't say they just didn't give it the right parameters they didn't show what he said before and after which makes all the difference uh, in the way that you see this story and unfortunately this happens maybe not as as aggrieving as you see here. But this happens all the time. You know, the, the quotes that just never make it, they take this quote, but they don't take that one, which changes the way something is actually interpreted, changes the story. And that's what you see here. This time, however, they got caught because there was another camera rolling. And now you have even other Democrats coming out, the Democratic Mayor Palm Beach saying, uh, what about this? I was actually involved with this, and they didn't even include my interview. I am actually talked uh, to Publix. And by the way, full disclaimer, Lauren's <laughs> from Florida, so let's just get that out there. She loves Publix. But I mean, it, so no, I'm not surprised. I'm surprised they finally got caught and it's getting the play it is. But to my knowledge, they still haven't changed their stance. They still say it's a fair story. Uh, they're out to get after DeSantis because they see him as a rising figure uh, on the on the right, and they're concerned about him. I mean, I guess I'm probably naive, but I'm a little surprised that they wouldn't have known that they would have gotten caught. I mean, are they just that bold and confident that they kind of feel like, okay, we can put whatever out there and the public will buy it? Yeah, I think increasingly they don't ever feel like they're going to get caught because nobody ever calls their hand. I mean, look at the way the media in the past, well, for many years, but certainly during the Trump years, uh, just became so adamantly anti-Trump, so adamantly anti-conservatives. And these are supposed mainstream media, right? That they, they they totally have come out of their their shelves in terms of what their their biases are, and so I just don't think they're used to getting called on it. Mm. Well, Genevieve, we can't let you go before we ask you about a deleted tweet by Georgia Democratic Senator Ralph Warnock, who also happens to be the senior pastor of New Ebenezer's Baptist Church in Atlanta. So on Easter Sunday, Warnock tweeted. The meaning of Easter is more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ, whether you are Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Genevieve, I have a lot of thoughts, but I want to get your reaction first. Well, I would love to know where the Reverend Warnock uh, has read that in the Bible. (laughs) 
Uh, and I would love to know what Baptist uh, congregation would agree with such a statement as that. I mean, that, that you know, that that's a kind of new age kind of stuff you might expect from a new age analyst. It's not what you would expect from a Christian reverend, where there is nothing more ascendant than the resurrection of, of Christ. So, I mean, I, I that's blasphemy in my view. It's heresy. Absolutely. And again, if he's a non-Christian and he's just an outsider, an atheist or some new age person who doesn't believe the Bible, make whatever statement you want. Uh, but I find it very interesting if he actually believes this, he took down the tweet. Mm-hmm. It, it, to me, it's just uh, he's got his politics mixed in with his religion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's very fascinating that he deleted it as soon as it seemed like he was getting pushback and people didn't like it. And that kind of tells me like, OK, he's just willing to say what people want him to say. And, you know, when he missteps, then he's just going to go right back and say, oh, sorry. Yep. Let me say what you want me to say. Yeah. And I- it's so disheartening because you. Th- we can disagree on politics. We can disagree on how to run our country. But you think one thing that Christians can agree on on Easter is the resurrection <laughs> of Jesus. And the fact that we can't even do that anymore, just uh, I, I don't know where we go from here. Well, I mean, when you when you live in a world, especially one that the that the left, which he is a part of, wants to shape, which is that basically, you know, all truth is relative, everything's relative, there really is no truth, then you can't really uphold the Bible. You can't be a reverend at a Baptist church and uphold what the Baptist, by a large denomination, believes, because there's certain truths that Baptists and Christians as a whole hold to, uh, one of them being the resurrection. And But if, you, if you're if you not going to live in that, if you're not going to hold to that, and you think everything's relative, you start saying nonsense, which is what you saw in his tweet. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Genevieve... Such a pleasure. We're going to have to have you back real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. If you're tired of high taxes, fewer health care choices, and bigger and bigger government, it's time to partner with the most impactful conservative organization in America. We're the Heritage Foundation, and we're committed to solving the issues America faces. Together, we'll fight back against the rising tide of homegrown socialism, and we'll fight for conservative solutions that are making families more free and more prosperous. But we can't do it without you. Please join us at Heritage.org. Now it is that time again, my favorite time of the week, time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to Laura Trump. Last week, Laura Trump interviewed her father, former President Donald Trump, on her podcast, The Right View with Laura Trump. She posted the interview on Facebook from her personal account. Facebook took the post down. Then they sent an email warning to Laura, writing, further content posted in the voice of Donald Trump will be removed and result in additional limitations on the accounts. So, Laura, we are proud to crown you our Problematic Woman of the Week Keep speaking up and sharing your views, even when they're literally sometimes taken down. (laughs) And with that, that's going to be it for this week's edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. In the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend. I hope you get out, get a little sunshine. We'll be back with you all next Thursday. 
Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. Special thanks to our editor-in-chief, Katrina Trinko. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.